this evening I'd like to speak about the practice of awakening. At times over these days when I've taken some time to go outside and observe you as you are walking and standing and take the chance to do a little standing and walking myself. I find it very inspiring to see what's going on and equally inspiring to be sitting here in this room and aware of all of your presence. To sit, to walk, to stand and to be here in the face of our lives is perhaps the most challenging endeavour we might ever seek to undertake. The German philosopher Goethe once said, all truly noble undertakings are as challenging as they are rare. And this practice that we're engaged in is a truly noble endeavour a truly noble undertaking to learn what it means to live our life well, to learn what it means to be free in the midst of this world. This is one of the most challenging, if not the most challenging things we might seek to engage with in our life or to in fact give our life to the engagement of that possibility, that pursuit. You know, living our lives at the mercy of our conditioned minds, at one level it seems like it's a lot easier, you know. Sometimes it feels like it's a lot of work to make the effort to be present, to come back to where we are, to not allow ourselves to be carried away by the streams of wanting and desire and fear and aversion and fascination with fantasy, with past and with future. At one level it seems like it's a lot of work to try and not be carried away by all of that. We might even question whether it's worth the amount of effort that it takes from us. There's a saying that goes something along the lines of only dead fish always swim with the tide. And when we see the tides of our mind, the tides of our conditioning and our culture. If we wish to be more than simply the dead ones that are just carried by the tide, we need to be willing to make an effort. It is always easier to be asleep in one moment than to make the effort to be awake in that moment. But in fact, if we look at our lives, or we look at even just one day, it's much more difficult in the larger picture to be asleep, to be living our life out, to be living our life out as something of an automaton, driven by a process of conditioning which we have no control over. And in our human existence, in our presence here on this earth. 
It is a statement and an expression of true nobility. Of true nobility. To seek the highest human potential. To not seek for anything less than what is possible for us. And while it may seem at times that we're tempted to settle for comfort, for a little more ease, for perhaps a few pleasant experiences that we might take home with us, ultimately comfort is no substitute for freedom and for being awake in this life. Insight meditation is the practice of awakening. There's much more to this life than simply filling the gap between birth and death with a range of experience and activity, with a consumption and a process of production that it seems most of this world gives its entire energy to. And this process and this practice of awakening is what we're essentially concerned with here. It's what is actually at the heart of this teaching and at this practice. And there are a number of ways we can look at and understand this process. And in the context of speaking this evening, I'd like to look at two particular dimensions, two particular ways we can understand the process of awakening. And the first dimension, the first way of understanding the process of awakening is the, the awakening of the qualities of heart and mind, which are the qualities that we carry within us as perhaps the seeds of our potential, the possibilities of what our mind and our heart can aspire to be, to express and to bring into this world. These qualities we speak of as, in the tradition we speak of them as the paramis, the perfections, the qualities of purity, the forces of purity in heart and mind, which lead towards well-being, which lead towards happiness, which lead towards a sense of wholeness and fulfilment in our lives. And they do exist in us, although perhaps we may doubt it at times, forget it at times. But all of us have these qualities, these capacities, which can be described as beautiful and noble, and that are the, the possibilities that we can cultivate, that we can develop and that we do develop through our practice, through our lives. There are traditionally spoken of ten paramis, ten qualities that are regarded as the beautiful and noble capacities of our heart and our mind. And I'd just like to speak about them briefly. The first quality that's recognised and that perhaps we can see in ourselves at times is the quality of generosity, that inclination and capacity to share that which we have. Do not hold on and grasp towards selfishly to keep everything that is within our control for only our use, but to actually offer it to the support and to the well-being of others. And while of course we may not find that this is always the predominant experience. It's sure that if we look into our life, we will see that there are those times and those places where this capacity has been expressed, has been shown. And a little bit like what 
I was speaking about last night, I think there's a really natural way when we come into contact with some other creature that what we're often moved to do is to offer them some food or to wish we had something that we could give to them. When we meet someone or something in a quality of innocence, we often find there's a wish and a willingness that comes very quickly, very easily, to just offer something. But often then we find for reasons of our fear or our limitation, we're unable to act or to express that as fully as we might wish. But the capacity for generosity is something incredibly powerful. And we have opportunities here to just touch in, to just recognize that capacity that is there in our heart, to notice it, to honor it if we feel it to be there, the wish to share what we have for the benefit of others. The Buddha taught this as the first quality and the first practice in the spiritual life. And before he would teach meditation or anything else, he would invite and encourage the people who were interested in his teaching to practice generosity, to realize the incredible and profound power it has to transform our lives. The second of the paramis, the perfections, is the the quality of non-harming that we express through the precepts in being here. The wish and the intention to not cause harm to any being. Truly live in a way that is careful, that is respectful, that is gentle to all things that live just as we equally equally would wish that care, that respect and that gentle non-harming relationship to be offered to ourselves by other living things. And in our commitment here to those precepts, we strengthen and we deepen our capacity in that way for non-harming. Our willingness to stay steady when we might be moved, perhaps to strike out harshly at an insect that's bothering us or to push someone away who's in our way when we're doing our walking meditation. Because we have that commitment to the precepts, it really helps us to support, to deepen and to strengthen in those qualities. And the next quality that we can see and that we deepen in here, the quality of renunciation, of letting go, of being willing to live in a more simple way. In coming into the situation, we don't have all the comforts, the entertainments and the the pleasures of our usual lives. It's rather more simple, more bare. And we've consciously chosen to do that. We've actually come here into this environment without our televisions and our videos and all the other things that go on in our lives. And in being here, we might equally see at times that that we we feel moved to... When in the walking meditation, we feel moved to just take a break and sort of sit back and not really try anymore to be present. And yet something in us can just let go of that. Maybe it just happens once in a whole retreat where we see that wish to just not bother. And we say, no, no, I'll just stay here. We actually let go of that movement. And in that simple expression of letting go, of renunciation, that capacity, that quality in our heart to be content with just what is, to be simple in our lives, is strengthened and deepened. The quality of wisdom is one in which we cultivate very clearly and consciously in our practice. 
seeing things the way they are, being willing to actually see what is true. And in the seeing, it comes out of our willingness to be present with interest. To not just be present, but to be interested to discover, to see what is going on. This is the root of understanding. This is the source of wisdom. It's not through being told things or reading things or thinking about. It's through actually being there with that quality of interest and openness that can allow ourselves to see, to understand, to understand the wisdom of our life that is offered to us in each moment and in each experience. The quality of effort, the willingness to bring the energy of our being to bear on what we feel to be important, that we express in the the effort that it takes to be present, to stay steady in the face of the pull of the mind that wants to return to unconsciousness, that wants at times to do everything or anything it would seem to be other than just here, right now. And all those pulls and pushes and demands that arise within us, that we learn to actually face them, to address them, requires a great expenditure of energy to not be carried away. And again, we can see how this happens, how we can, in fact, connect with this quality and this capacity. And with that ability to to be present, the quality of patience that we develop through our willingness to begin again. You know, we might not feel that patient some of the time. We might be thinking, gosh, I really have had enough of this. But no matter how long and how many times we feel or we think that, at some point we manage to begin again. You wouldn't be here if that wasn't the case. You wouldn't have stayed this long if you couldn't just keep beginning again. And that there is that capacity for patience to just trust in the unfoldment of life as it will, as it does. Not rushing it, not hurrying it, not demanding it to fit into our agenda. The next quality that we can recognize is the quality of truthfulness, of honesty. And being honest with ourselves is at the heart of our practice. Being willing to see, to acknowledge what we see within our hearts, within our minds. Sometimes it's not good news. You know, sometimes what we see we might feel rather embarrassed or ashamed about or very seriously concerned about. And we'd rather not actually even see it. We'd rather look away. And we can easily spend our life looking away from the dark or the painful or the difficult places in our hearts, in our minds. And the honesty that's expressed here and our willingness to acknowledge to ourselves, yes, at times I'm selfish, at times I'm angry or confused or greedy or hateful or jealous. To see that at times these experiences arise. We don't have to define ourselves by them. But being honest to see, yes, this is part of what goes on. And in that honesty we have the opportunity to begin to address them skillfully in a way that actually serves. <coughs> we, we cultivate also the quality of resolve. The steadfastness of intention when we clearly actually direct ourselves to engage in a certain way. When we say, I'll come to the sitting and I'll stay till the end. Or I'll go right through a walking period without going to do something else. And we actually stick with that intention. We really stay with our practice. 
It's through the quality and the capacity of resolve that enables us to harness our energy and direct it to what we seek and what we see to be of value, to be of benefit. We also cultivate the quality of equanimity, the quality that allows us to actually just be connected to all experiences. We sometimes think of equanimity as being rather distant, as sort of being at a safe and comfortable distance away from our experience. But that's not really equanimity. Equanimity is actually when we're, when we're, when we're able to be connected without choosing that between this or that as to what we will connect with. As one Tibetan master once said, equanimity is to be equally close to all things. And that capacity to just be touched by whatever this moment is revealing to us. As we deepen in our willingness to be met, to meet each experience, we deepen in that capacity for equanimity, to let go of our preferences and our projections, our wanting and our not wanting, and simply be there in the face of our experience. To trust that capacity of equanimity, it's so powerful, it supports us in so many ways. And the last of the, the paramis, the human perfections that we speak about in, the, in this tradition, is the, the parami of loving-kindness, of metta, of that deep and genuine caring and concern for the welfare and the happiness of all that lives, of others and of ourselves. And this we can see, of course, quite directly, we cultivate it through the formal practice of loving-kindness, of consciously connecting with that intention for wishing well, for wishing happiness and ease and freedom from pain to others and to ourselves. And we equally cultivate that capacity through, through the quality of care and gentleness that we bring to our experience on a moment-to-moment level. Our willingness to just open to what is there, even when it's difficult or painful. That actually expresses a very, very deep and very tender quality of kindness and of caring that the, the ability to listen to and to touch our hearts with that simple presence is in fact an exquisite expression of love and of caring and of contributing to our welfare or the welfare of anyone to whom we meet in that way, who we simply receive just as they are, just as we experience one moment, one breath, one experience. That quality of love and of kindness is there in that willingness to meet and to hold and be touched by and touch. And we can see in our practice, if we look, if we reflect, that these qualities are actually there in our hearts. Generosity, non-harming, letting go, wisdom, effort and energy, patience, truthfulness, resolve and clear intentions, equanimity and loving-kindness. Our practice is a form and a way in which these capacities of heart and mind are actually awakened. It's not that we have to go and find them from somewhere else. It's not that they're somehow outside of us. But perhaps in some way they've been covered. They haven't been attended to. They haven't been cultivated in the way that seeds may be lying in the soil. And yet because the soil is dry and hard, and has been compacted and pressured through the contraction of our wanting and our fear, the solidity 
of our heart, has, has compressed the seeds of our potential. So they don't really flower, they don't really grow so easily. And through bringing attention, through bringing care to our experience, through touching just one moment at a time, with kindness, with interest, we start to soften, we start to open that compacted, dense soil. And the seeds that are within us can begin to grow, can begin to flower. And it's a very natural and organic process. It's not something that we do. It's not like we make ourselves become more equanimous or suddenly we force this loving kindness into existence through our willpower. Or that we let go because we, we somehow decide we've got to do it. It's really not like that. It's much more that in our practice we begin to see. We begin to see where those supportive and beautiful qualities are present. And when we notice them, we see the effect that they have in our life and on our heart. We see how when we're in connection with the quality of kindness, how that serves our well-being and the well-being of others. And in seeing the wholesomeness of the quality, that very seeing in itself strengthens it, deepens it and makes it more accessible to our heart and our mind. And equally when we see the absence, when we see the places where we're caught, where we're not able to connect with perhaps a quality of patience or a sense of letting go, we see how painful and how difficult that is to be caught in those places and to see the very effect, to see the very effect of those qualities that limit us and that hold us and keep us bound. Again, we don't have to do anything about them. We don't have to judge ourselves for them. But in the seeing of their effect, seeing how they are harmful and painful, we actually start to weaken them. We actually start to rather naturally let them go. It's It's the very quality of awareness that is transforming. It's our ability to see and to recognize what is going on that naturally deepens and strengthens the, the qualities that serve us and that contribute to our well-being and the welfare of life. And that equally that awareness, that presence, that actually starts to erode the power and the strength of those qualities and tendencies which lead to contraction, to suffering and to pain in our lives. And yet sometimes it feels like almost the opposite is happening. You know, we sit in practice and what we think we're seeing is that in fact our mind, rather than becoming more forgiving or more kind, is actually more filled with anger or more filled with irritation and frustration. And yet, it's not really like that. I mean, it can be the same that we think, here am I practicing letting go and my mind is full of wanting this and wanting that and I can't seem to let go of it for a moment. But, you know, we can't always see the totality of what's happening in our practice because there's no solid objective criteria we can measure our inner life against. It's much too fluid for that. And in the context of a retreat, it's like everything comes under the magnifying glass. And one might consider, and this was a simile, a metaphor that the the Buddha himself suggested, that if one would look at a very dirty cloth, that was covered in stains. It might be that in fact one wouldn't see any of the particular stains standing out. But if you took a perfectly pure, clean, 
pristine piece of white silk and on it there was just one drop of colour staining it. It would stand out so clearly. It would look like such a blemish, such a tragic stain on that cloth. And in some ways in our practice, it's a little bit like that at times. When we see what appears to be difficult or painful and it stands out so strongly, it's kind of actually because what's happening around it is a background of more clarity, of more purity, of more depth and strength in the beauty of our heart so that it even sees what is there. If the garden was full of weeds, we wouldn't notice that there are any weeds. We just think that's what a garden looks like. It's only actually as we start to see the, the seeds of our heart starting to grow, to bear, bear forth shoots and branches that flower and bear fruit. It's only as we start to see that process that in fact we equally start to notice all the places where we're stuck and where we're holding where we're contracted and where we're lost. And our practice is to simply acknowledge both of these processes going on. To see the awakening of the qualities of our heart as something which, which happens slowly, which happens gently, which we can't force in any way. And there's a very, one could say gradual and natural unfoldment of our life that comes through the quality of our attention. And this is a process of awakening, awakening the potential of our heart and our mind. And the awakening of these human qualities, these purities and these beautiful elements, this is an incredible blessing to our life and an incredible blessing to our world and truly a noble endeavour, a noble undertaking to engage in. And yet, at the same time as this is going on, and this may seem at, to us to be all or much of what is going on, this process of, of working and challenge and beginning again and coming back and facing the shadows as well as the light, there's another dimension to the process, to the practice of awakening which was equally immediate and equally part of what is happening right here in this moment and in our practice. The dimension of awakening to the nature of our life, awakening to the freedom of life itself. That is fundamental to this teaching and this practice. Two and a half thousand years ago, a man, a human being like you and I, by the name of Siddhartha Gautama, sat under a tree, a Bodhi tree, and resolved to stay there until he'd awoken, until he had discovered and realized the deepest truth of life. He said, I will sit here unmoving, though my bones should and my tissues and my sinews should all dry up and wither. He was that committed to stay there until he understood something, until he awakened. And it is said and it is told and these teachings come to us only, it seems, because he actually 
awakened to the truth which liberates. And these teachings and these practices are an offering and an invitation to each and every one of us to enter into this practice, to understand and to discover that truth. Our willingness to be present, our willingness to be wholeheartedly present, totally holding nothing back, opens us to something of our potential which we cannot speak of in terms of qualities, in terms of development, in terms of strengthening or weakening or growing, but yet which we can nonetheless discover. This practice is a path of freedom, a path of freedom born of wisdom, of understanding. And the heart of this teaching, the teaching that came from Siddhartha Gautama, who on his awakening became the Buddha, the awakened one. The heart of this teaching is that liberation is born of letting go. Liberation is born of letting go into the truth of this moment. When we look into our minds, what we see much of the time is so much activity, so much going on. And we can see the patterns and the movements of the craving and the clinging, the wanting for this, the fearing that, and all of the holding, the contraction that is built and developed and <coughs> created through that process that leads to so much suffering, that leads to so much pain. We begin to see this. And at times, perhaps our mind is still and we realize what an incredible relief it is for just a few moments to be free from that wanting, that craving, that holding on, that contraction in the mind. And yet, stilling the mind in itself is not enough to release us from that suffering. It perhaps gives us some temporary relief. It speaks to us of the possibility of not being a prisoner to that condition. And it equally gives our mind the capacity to see more clearly in that stillness and that steadiness that is founded in letting go, in not entangling ourselves again and again in the busyness and the craziness, it seems, of our minds. It seems that we're looking for something. At some level, we maybe realize we haven't understood. We haven't yet discovered what life offers us, invites us to discover. But what we tend to do is look for it in the realm of something other. Looking for it in what might be somewhere else, at some other place or some other time. There's a story of Mullah Nasruddin, who I mentioned the other night, the Sufi wise man. When he was once found by one of his friends one evening, scrabbling amongst the stones and the dirt on the path under a street lamp in the village. 
And his friend said, Nasruddin, what are you doing? The mullah replied, I'm looking for my key. I've lost my key. I can't get into my house. Would you help me look? And so the friend got down on his hands and knees and started looking and they were moving the rubbish aside and the stones and the dirt and the dust. And After some time, the friend was starting to get a little impatient. He said, Mullah, we don't seem to be finding anything here. Are you sure you lost your key here? And Nazarene replied, he said, Well, actually, I lost my key out the back of the garden, but the light is much better here. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes what we feel so strongly is that we have to look where it's familiar, where it's easy to look. We have to look in the realm of things, in the realm of experience, in the realm of what is not actually here and now. It somehow seems that it's so hard to look into this moment, to actually look into the truth of right here, because we don't quite know how to do that. We don't quite know what that would mean. And so we're, we're constantly drawn off looking for something else, looking somewhere else. And yet, we're not going to find anything out there, away, distant or disconnected from this moment that isn't equally here. And by looking out for something else, somewhere else, to projecting our hopes and our longing into the future, into other places or people or experiences, by doing that, we actually miss the opportunity to discover what is right here. The opportunity and the invitation to realize the truth of our life in this moment. If we can actually let go, let go of seeking for something else, for something other, we actually rather naturally find ourselves returning to where we are. It's not something we do. It's not like we come back. It's just that in letting go of that movement away, we find that we are here rather naturally. Because this is the condition of being present. And in that being present, there's a quality of stillness that is born when we're not seeking for anything at all. When we're not trying to get somewhere or something, when we're not even trying to find something right here. We're not grasping at any experience as offering us something different or better than just that quality of presence. We're not defining ourselves as being this thought or this feeling or this person with that history or this future, but we're just present. Maybe just for a flicker of an instant. And in that flickering moment, we might just sense in that stillness, in that presence, in that pure being, that it's not we who are moving through this life. It's not that our life is a progression of experience, moving from one thing to another, but much rather than life being something which we are moving through. It is in fact life which is moving through that which we are. And in that stillness, we can feel that the movement of life does not obscure the stillness of the truth that is present when we hold onto nothing. 
to know idea, to know experience, to know belief as to who we are or what the truth of this life actually is. When we're there, in that moment of stillness, of presence, of exquisite, intimate connection, we can sometimes, perhaps, start to sense, in a way that our mind can't grasp, that there's something about the truth of this moment that is more real and more substantial, though not solid in any way but that's more real and more true than any of the flickering movements and moments of life's experience. That there's an element and a dimension to life that is so, so close to us, so deeply familiar, that in some tragic way we fail to recognize it. That's closer to us than our very thoughts, than our breath. And yet by its very closeness, we, we don't notice it because we're looking somewhere else. Because we're looking away in the realms of time, the realms of experience. And it's a dimension of life which when we start to sense it, when we allow it to speak to us, it speaks to us of the suchness of all things, the okayness of life just as it is, with all its process of learning and growing, of development and cultivation, and all of that in its place. And yet, it's a dimension of life through which life itself is revealed, in which our life and all of life is held. And we can't enter into this place. We can't go there as an act of will or a movement of our wish. Because it's not somewhere other than where we already are. There is no arrival in this condition. Because to understand it is to realize that we have never and could never depart from it. T.S. Eliot, in the Four Quartets, said this, We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started, and know the place for the first time, through the unknown remembered gate, when the last of the earth left to discover is that which was the beginning at the source of the longest river, the voice of the hidden waterfall and the children in the apple tree. Not known because not looked for, but heard, half heard, in the stillness between two waves of the sea. Quick, now, here, now, always. A condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything. And all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well.
the process, the practice, the noble life of awakening is a process and a practice, a life of exploring, a life dedicated to the discovery of that which is true. And the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and to know that place for the first time. A condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything. And all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Can we just sit quietly for a few minutes, please?